Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us in the broadcast today. And as you know, we are just days away from a U.S. Supreme Court ruling on the so-called constitutionality of same-sex marriage. You know, the very fact that the court is even considering this, it's really unthinkable because in Western culture, marriage has always been between a man and a woman. And really what has happened is what we call Western civilization and Western culture has really collapsed in order that we're even considering this in our highest court of the land. You know, you and I can't do much about whatever the Supreme Court's going to do or whatever uh, the political parties are going to do. Sure, we can vote and be actively involved. But, you know, at this point, there's a lot we can do within our own families. And really the big question, given what's going on in our culture with the push for same-sex marriage and the push for homosexual activism, is what can parents do in such a cultural situation. Before I get to the topic today, or as we get to the topic today, I'd like to go through a simple four-step plan for parents. Number one, I would engage wholeheartedly in what I have termed transformative parenting. And if you go to dads.org, you can find a CD where you basically have all the resources you need for transformative parenting. But What that is, is a spiritual formation of your children from the inside out that emphasizes a personal relationship with Christ, cultivating a dependency upon the Holy Spirit for the power to live a chaste moral life in today's world, and avoiding dependency on forced learning, because forced learning, (laughs) it's just the wrong environment to try to get across a living, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's number one, transformative parenting. And again, there's a CD at dads.org where you can get all the details on what that entails. Number two, and it's related to transformative parenting, is an emphasis on the grace of God as the primary Christian truth. The authors of the Catechism of the Catholic Church say it was on purpose that Grace comes first in the catechism. Only after that do the commandments come. And, you know, we tend to get our adrenaline going when we see what's going wrong in our culture and tend to reverse that. We want to keep grace first. And episode 81, Upcoming on Faith and Family, pay a lot of attention to because that will tell us the role of grace in teaching chastity to our young people. Number three. Okay, number one was transformative parenting. Number two was emphasis on the grace of God. Number three, fathers are important. Uh, You know, talking about the spread of homosexuality, the expert on helping young people who are confused by their gender identification is a psychologist by the name of Dr. Joseph Nicolosi. And he has said in treating Uh, scores of young men over the years who have leanings towards homosexuality or want out of the lifestyle, never once did he find a young man in that situation 
who had a strong, loving relationship with his father. And so dads are important. Uh, We have a whole website, dads.org. We have a free newsletter for Catholic dads. You can sign up online. I've written two books for Catholic fathers. We have tons of CDs and resources, live conferences you can take and listen to in your car and truck. But remember, fathers are important. And we tend to think, well, we just want, you know, this or that person. But, but dad is truly important. And I think his importance is frequently overlooked. So we want to keep that front and center. And then fourth, again, we've gone from transformative parenting, spiritual formation from the inside out, emphasizing a personal relationship, to emphasizing the grace of God, which is the close cousin of transformative parenting. Pay attention to episode 81 of Faith and Family. Third, fathers are important. Fourth, avoid affluenza. Now, this isn't the only cause of homosexuality and the spread of its acceptance in our culture, but basically, affluenza is our topic today. It's just basically we have too much stuff, too much materialism, too much consumerism. And I'm not a socialist. I like to have nice things, just like everybody listening. But when we're raising children, we need to realize that just giving them everything they want when they want it is one of the significant factors underlying the spread of homosexuality. This is one of the truths that um, may not go down as well with conservative Americans and uh, Orthodox Catholics and Protestants, but this is one of the causes, affluenza. So let's get to the topic, all right? Looking ahead, what I'd like to share with you is how affluenza makes your children vulnerable to homosexuality. It's something, personally, I haven't heard a lot of from Christians. And by affluenza, I'm talking about just simply too much. Uh, We're living in a culture kind of drowning in too much, and I realize we're in a tough recession. A lot of families are hurting financially, but yet we live in a culture of, uh, frankly, too much. And let me begin with this. I think one of the most significant things I've shared with you in the recent past was that Knights of Columbus survey of Catholic millennials, and a millennial is basically an 18 to 29-year-old, and while I think the Knights of Columbus need to be strongly commended for taking all of those funds and doing this national survey. I think a lot of the press reports reporting on the results of that survey rather missed things because they said the survey was mostly positive. There are a few negative things, and basically those negative things were lowballed. But in that survey, it found that only 37% of Catholic millennials, that's the coming generation, the 18 to 29-year-olds, only 37% said that same-sex marriage was morally wrong. Now, that means 63% basically said it's okay. And that's far less than the 54% of Americans who believe it's morally wrong. So we're in a deep situation here, and I'm not exactly sure if the average concerned Orthodox Catholic fully realizes the depth of the challenge that we are facing. Before he died, 
Cardinal O'Connor mentioned to a small pro-life group that this line must hold, the line against the acceptance, the open, wide acceptance of homosexuality within our society. He said this line must hold because there are no fallback positions. There's there's, There's no retreating to this line and then holding it. So we have to be certain here, and basically... Since Cardinal O'Connor died, this fairly recent Knights of Columbus survey shows the line hasn't held because the future is in our young people and they are floundering. So what I would like to do is show to you an unexplored uh, relationship between what I term affluenza, that's the drowning of materialism, pleasure, luxury, and whatnot, affluenza and its relationship to homosexuality. And it's something that you can do to prepare your children because, listen to this very carefully, you could be a mom at home right now listening to me and think, that's somebody else's problem. Believe me, uh, today and particularly in the decade ahead, this isn't going to be just someone else's problem because your children are going to be growing up in a culture that now openly accepts or is growingly accepting homosexuality and same-sex marriage, including their Catholic peers are going to be accepting of it. So you need to take the steps now to head this off. First of all, there are great spiritual dangers with wealth. And, you know, it's something we probably uh, wouldn't think of praying you know, God keep me from too much. I mean, who hasn't secretly wished they'd win the lottery and have all those millions just to try to decide how you're going to spend them? And yet the book of Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8 has a prayer that says this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In other words, uh, make me an honest middle-class person. Uh, Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little, because they both have temptations. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says there is great gain in godliness with contentment. It says we didn't bring anything into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. And if we have food and clothing, we should be content. But, and here's the but, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into destruction. For the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced their hearts with many pangs. So, Basically, and Jesus' warning in, in the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13 says the gospel, the sore of the seed, Jesus himself proclaiming the gospel, and yet if the seed falls on ground with weeds, it chokes the seed from growing properly. And what are the weeds? The cares of the world and the delight in riches which choke the word. Um, look in the book of Revelation the letters to the seven churches. It's one of the projects I'm actually going to be doing because St. John wrote 
the entire book of Revelation to prepare those seven churches for the two centuries they were about to face. They were going to be facing some very challenging times, and the churches weren't ready for that. But the church who thought it had it all, it was the wealthiest church of all seven, Church of Laodicea. They were rich. They thought they were also rich in spirituality, and Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So there is a danger in falling in love with riches, uh, even a culture, and we're living basically in a culture. You could be lower middle class in America today and still living in a certain level of luxury that even kings in the past didn't enjoy. Now, that was real brief. That's just, and there's a lot of people who have written and spoken a lot on the dangers of excessive wealth and riches and consumerism and such. What I want to do is tie this together, affluenza and the dangers of homosexuality for those living in such a culture, and particularly how vulnerable children are who have been exposed to affluenza affluenza to homosexuality. And I want to go back to the beginning, one of the most important books of the whole Bible, and that's why the modern critics attack it, and that's the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, uh, Abraham was with his nephew Lot, and there was basically too many of them to live in one place. So Abraham, very generous, said to Lot, look, the whole land's before you. You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. And it says, Lot lifted up his eyes, this is Genesis 13, and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. You see, today, when somebody has their eye on wealth, we say, you know, his eyes are on green. He's seeing green, referring to lots of dollars. But in the ancient world, uh, seeing green, seeing the Jordan Valley well watered like the Garden of Eden, this was money because in an agricultural society, a well-watered, uh, prosperous agricultural thing brought all this money. And so Lot chose for himself the green, and he says he journeyed east, and Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, while Lot dwelt among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And so here you see where Lot basically put himself in an extremely vulnerable situation because he consciously chose affluenza for himself and his family. And you know the rest in Genesis chapter 18, God is coming. He couldn't even find 10 righteous people in that city because once homosexuality starts, it does, it, once it's out of the closet, it burns through a culture. Now, a lot of people don't know the full background to what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And surprisingly, you have to go all the way through the Old Testament to the prophet Ezekiel to find a comment to what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And listen carefully. This is from Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 49. Ezekiel says, and this is actually God speaking through Ezekiel, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, surfeit of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did abominable things before me, Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Now, 
it says a number of things about Sodom and Gomorrah, and only last did it say abominable things. You know what they were talking about, the sexual immorality. But long preceding that, the sin of Sodom, they had pride, they had food, and lots of it, they had prosperous ease because God has actually designed work to be one of the things to restrain sin in the human race. And it says, and even their pride and their prosperous ease, they did not aid the poor and the needy. You know, until the fourth century, if you look in an old dictionary or the archaic meanings of luxury, it was connected with lust. And it was a pejorative term until about the fourth century. In modern world, luxury is a good. Uh, we call luxury goods. Uh, it wasn't that way for the first 14 centuries of the Christian era. So if you wanted a picture, I'm probably going to get in trouble with this, but if you want a picture of what Sodom and Gomorrah was like, and by the way, uh, in mentioning this movie, I am not recommending that, especially if you're 16 years or younger, but if anybody has seen The Hunger Games, you will have basically, and I'm not talking about the countryside where people are living in hunger and literally slowly dying of starvation, even though they're working their tails off in order to provide for this city. But in the Hunger Games, when you hit the metropolitan area, there was decadent luxury beyond anybody's imagination, prosperous ease, and abominable appetites. And it was very obvious that this excess of everything gave rise to the seedbed of totalitarianism and bloodlust featured in that movie. And this is what you were having in Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's a danger for Catholics in the modern world. You think, wow, we finally arrived. You know, uh, it used to be that Catholics were persecuted, even in this country. And, you know, the Klan was against Catholics and they were discriminated against. They were excluded from the po political environment. People couldn't even think of voting for a Catholic. And gee, now we're invited to fancy dinners and asked to give prayers at political conventions. I mean, we've arrived, and that's our danger. See, that's our danger point, that God has blessed us. And if you're a Republican, uh, you say, we did it. And if you're a Democrat, you say, the government did it. But the Bible says that it's God's blessing that gives us increase. And when he gives us something, we're to be stewards and not only keep it selfishly for ourselves and just dwell in untold luxury, but to share that with other people. I have in front of me a very interesting survey. Some of you are going to want to get a hold of this. Uh, I got the report of this survey from a book entitled The Bible and Homosexuality by a scholar by the name of Robert Gagnon. And I'm going to report to you from an NHSLS survey, a National Health and Social Life Survey, conducted by professors from the University of Chicago and the State University of New York. And they found that homosexuality, now this is somewhat dated because uh, things have spread, but this is from 1992 data, that at least in 92, homosexuality was primarily a phenomena of the large urban areas. And if you would move, they, they surveyed the entire country, if you would move from a rural area to one of the 12 major urban areas of the United States, there is a 708% probability 
of a man identifying himself as a homosexual moving from a rural uh, area to a major metropolitan area. Now, the scholars surmised, and probably so, because there are multiple causes of homosexuality. I'm not declaring in this broadcast that affluenza is the only one. I'm saying it's probably the most neglected one. They, they, the scholar said migration accounted for some of this dramatically higher percentage of homosexuals in the 12 major metro areas. But since they included teens as young as 14, 15, and 16, and reported that there were also the same high numbers of younger teens as well as older men reporting themselves to be homosexual in the urban areas, they said this isn't simply due to migration. It's something to do uh, to environment. Finally, I'd like to bring you something from uh, a document that uh, I have repeatedly referred to here on Faith and Family, and it's called The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality, Guidelines for Education Within the Family, published by the Pontifical Council for the Family. And in section 86 of this document, in fact, I didn't I forgot to list it on listener resources today, but this you can download for free from the FamilyLifeCenter.net website. Encourage you to do so. A lot of wisdom in here, but there's uh, a little part of section 86, which personally I haven't heard anybody comment on. I've heard a lot of comments on the document, and this is what this section of 86 says. During childhood, parents should encourage a spirit of self-denial in their children. An undisciplined or spoiled child is inclined toward a certain immaturity and moral weakness in future years because chastity is difficult to maintain if a person develops selfish or disordered habits. And you see, uh, our current approach to chastity is, is finding great challenges. And so people think, well, simply double up, double up on chastity seminars, double up on theology of the body books. But I think we need a little wider uh, approach to this. And one of the things we, we perhaps have ignored is that too much of everything, too much ease, not enough work, uh, not enough sharing with others creates an environment that leads to unchastity. And it's the very environment that led to Sodom and Gomorrah doing abominable things. So parents listening, uh, I dare say the real key to being a good parent, and it's trial and error, but it's maintaining a balance. I don't want some of you to hear what I just said and go out and become Uncle Scrooge with your kids. That's not going to work too well, okay? But on the other hand, you don't want to spoil your children with a soft, luxurious life floating in abundance. Uh, I have some stats coming from the U.S. News and World Report that children in the United States ages simply 4 to 12 spend $35 billion annually, that the U.S. children are 4.5% of the world's population, and yet they buy 45% of the global toy production. And the average American child sees about 40,000 commercials annually and gets 70 new toys a year. I think this would say, uh, and you know, about half of those, uh, uh, what, 45% of global toy production was probably in my living room 
But uh, here, here's some wisdom to, to really take to heart. In addition to creating a moral weakness, they say high teen and child consumerism has three times the normal le- uh, le- levels of depression, higher anxiety, lower self-esteem, worse relationships with parents, and higher rates of substance abuse. And it's probably one of the easiest mistakes to prevent as a parent. We need to be cautious. And uh, Ecclesiasticus, one of those seven books that Catholics have in their Bibles that our Protestant friends don't, Ecclesiasticus 33.29, idleness hath taught much evil. And in the commentary on that, hard work, whether mental or physical, keeps evil desires and passions at bay. If men were not obligated to work, they would live more in passions and evil would be rampant. And um, close this off, Pope Leo XIII, in his encyclical on Freemasonry, said, how is virtue lulled to sleep? First, by a soft and delicate life. And second, with pleasures diligently sought out by which virtue may be lulled to sleep. Well, we don't want virtue lulled to sleep. We need folks wide awake in the decade ahead. If you've got little ones, love them, but don't love them to excess with material goods. Uh, Love them with the gospel, challenge them with work, uh, sacrifice, and service to others, and they won't have the displaced affections that are running rampant in our culture. As we conclude today's broadcast, I'd like to bring us back to the big question we began with. Given our cultural situation, given what the Supreme Court may or may not do, given the legalization of same-sex marriage spreading across the United States and across the world, again, what are parents supposed to do in such a cultural situation? You know, we really want to begin with what I would call a quiet confidence. The Catholic faith will work and will thrive in any given cultural situation. Remember, Catholicism started in the midst of rank paganism in ancient Rome and thrived, and as a result, transformed that Western culture into a Christian culture. So just remember, as you are raising your children, follow the steps we've been highlighting on faith and family, and particularly, as we mentioned today, avoid affluenza. You've been listening to episode 80 of Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.